Hello, beautiful people, lovers and lovelies. This is Rebirth of Venus, the podcast where I talk dirty about spiritual evolution, the self-love revolution, and how to embody the archetype of Venus, original bad bitch, every damn day. My name is Caitlin, and I want to thank you so deeply for being here. Happy Friday, everybody. I want to start out with a couple of disclaimers. It is November. Can you believe it? It is November. I live in Mexico. It's 11 a.m. There are there are already parties happening. So <laughs> I've set up a little bit differently today, trying to find the most quiet place in my apartment. And I'm afraid there still might be some background noise. So forgive the music if you hear it in the background. Just know it's a celebration of life and everything. So I'm just going to embrace it. <laughs> oh, I'm feeling a little, a little coffee, <laughs> um, which I'll maybe talk about in a little bit. But if I'm also sounding a little bit, you know, ugh-y, that's why. So I'm so happy to be here, regardless of those imperfections that make life so beautiful. <laughs> so thank you for tuning in. And I uh, I feel like it's been a, kind of a crazy time for a lot of people. I feel like I, I follow astrology pretty closely and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm pretty above average in my knowledge, although there's a lot, a lot, lot, lot I have to learn. And yet I, even I'm having trouble <laughs> keeping track of all of these different transits and things and all these things that have been going on for the past year, it's been a really big year astrologically. And one thing I do know, both from my intuition and then also later in my studies and research about the climate we're in right now astrologically, uh, it's, a, it's really an end of a cycle for a lot of us, or for all of us. Just some of us will notice it more depending on the themes we've been, we've been dealing with in the cycle. And I know for me, I'm feeling like I'm... Um, just wrapping up, not only I'm noticing sort of a three month cycle, a six month cycle, a year and a half cycle, a three year cycle, and even a six year cycle. And um, some of that lines up with what's happening astrologically, some of that lines up with numerology, some of that just lines up with me knowing the rhythms, the cycles I've been experiencing. So it seems like it's not just me. It seems like a lot of people are experiencing that and I've really been embracing it. And I practice Kundalini yoga and that really has helped me energetically prepare for the next phase. Um, a lot of us don't think about that. We don't prepare ourselves, whether you believe in the spiritual side of it, the energetics, or whether you just view it as you know, a practical reality. Think about it this way. I mean, we've all push, 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 grow, and then we get sick, right? And sometimes it's because you're just, I mean, your immune system is just done. <laughs> so you don't even have to believe in the spiritual side of it to see that's the case. We need rest. I mean, you know, changing weather, changing seasons. We need to rest and recuperate. But I believe that when, and I talked about this on Instagram yesterday, I believe that when we are evolving spiritually, energetically, at a, especially at a rapid pace, we really need to be even more aware of 
our energy. I mean, I refer to it as our energetic grid. It's sort of the, you know, some people call it the aura. Some people call it all kinds of things. But it's that field around you that attracts things to you, whether those are things you want or things you don't. Or as somebody who practices deep shadow integration, I would say they're either things you know you want or the things you don't know you want. Either way, it's the things you want. <laughs> so needless to say, I um, I have been really, really sensitive in my meditation and I woke up yesterday just out of nowhere feeling sickness in my throat, completely in my throat. Like I physically feel fine, but I'm coughing. I have phlegm. It's delicious to hear about, I know. And I know without a shadow of a doubt, it's an energetic sickness because it's worse at certain times of the day. It's better after meditation. It's better after speaking my truth. So I don't know if that's a throat chakra blockage or what, but uh, <laughs> yeah. So that's that's kind of what I'm experiencing here. And I'm just rolling with it. I'm enjoying it. And I'm really feeling great knowing that I'm preparing myself for this next cycle and that, I mean, things are moving forward. A lot of themes I've been experiencing and and consciously working through and unconsciously working through for that past, all of those cycles I mentioned are finally kind of coming to a head and moving forward to the next stage. So I'm excited for it. And I would invite you if you're feeling, you know, stressed over it, or you're feeling like maybe things are changing too rapidly for you, that you just embrace it and that you just take a step back, get some extra sleep. If you meditate, definitely up that practice, up your nutrition, you know, if you can um, just do anything you can do to sort of prepare yourself for what's next. And I think that's going to help you a lot. And that actually really ties into our topic for today, which is what I call radical receiving. Because if we're not energetically primed to receive all of the bounty that we're requesting from the universe, from ourselves, from the people around us, if we're not really primed to receive, we're going to just push it all away. So... I've really challenged myself in the past several months to get a lot more comfortable with re- with receiving. You know, I am my my natal chart, my astrology chart is super earthy. I'm a Capricorn sun. Um, I have quite a lot of Capricorn and I have a lot of Sagittarius, a lot of fire. So what that kind of you know, that's a lot of drive. That's a lot of um, a lot of drive, but also a lot of tendency to get kind of stuck in things as well. And neither of those energies are that watery, receptive energy. Um, and it's actually my Venus sign. I'm a v- I have Venus and Pisces. And it's interesting because that's like one of the biggest watery placements in my chart. And that is, you know, as I've done this work with Venus <laughs> over the past year or however long it's been, as I've been doing this work with Venus and going deeper into my relationship with that energy, I'm one of the biggest lessons has been in receiving. And it's kind of interesting to me that like, that's my Venus sign. So anyway, if I've just lost you with all the astro talk, just hang in there with me. I'm moving on. (laughs) But um, as always, if you have questions about any of these, you know, more specific things I'm talking about, I could talk about astrology for hours shoot me a message on Instagram at rebirth underscore of Venus and would love to riff on that with you. So 
leaving that behind, receiving. This has been one of the biggest lessons for me of the year. Um, you know, I love to create. I love to do things. I just, I still don't really know anything about it, but I just learned about this thing called human design. Like I said, I haven't done any, I haven't done any like learning about it yet. The only reason I even found out about it was because I was applying for a program and the mentor asked what your human design was and I she gave me a quiz and I was like okay I'd heard of this only recently but I like quizzes so don't ask me questions about it yet because I don't know but I do know that I am something called a manifester generator like an even split and I don't even have to read the description to know what that means I mean it's so accurate for me you know the generator is the Capricorn side of me, the which is about half of my chart, and the um, the manifestor is the fire side, Sagittarius. It's this push and pull between creating, creating structures, building, and and you creating magic. But the key word here is creating, 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 building, building, building. When do I stop to receive? <laughs> really never. <laughs> And this has become really clear to me. Um, it kind of started because last, I don't know, sometime last year or something, probably around Christmas time. Um, even though I'm a pagan, I still call it Christmas. <laughs> I know that makes me a bad pagan. For one year, I was like, I'm just going to start calling it Festivus. <laughs> or like, I don't know what I said. I, I mean, Yule, obviously, I celebrate Yule. But it was one year because I was formerly married to um, a man who was Jewish. And so we kind of celebrated Yule, Hanukkah, Christmas. And I just called it Festivus for like the whole season because I love celebrating. I don't really care what the celebration is. Um, but the reality is when I think of, you know, December, I think of Christmas. <laughs> so, you know, I still do the Yule things. I still totally understand that it was stolen by the from the pagans by the Christians. No offense to Christians out there. I'm not saying it's your fault personally. <laughs> but, you know, most of the secular Christian or Christmas traditions come from Yule. So I kind of I say Christmas, but, you know, hopefully that doesn't offend anybody. So <laughs> anyway, it was last year at Christmas time. I was visiting my family in the U.S. And my mother is, um, I mean, she just loves giving. And I had been studying the idea of the love languages more deeply. And um, I think I might have linked the whole love languages thing on a previous episode. I'll put it in this one, too, just in case. It's this idea that you basically, again, take a quiz. You know, this girl loves some quizzes. But you take a quiz and it tells you, you know, what percentage of these, I think like five or six love languages you are. And the idea is that if you know your love languages, you know what you need to feel loved. And your partner, your family, your loved ones, love languages, you understand that they might be different from yours, but you need to kind of understand how they're giving love so that you don't feel unloved. Let me explain. So for me, my two lowest love languages, like the least, they resonate with me the least, are gift giving and acts of service. And the gift giving was obvious for me. I mean, sure, your girl loves a gift, but <laughs> like I love a gift, 
But I'm not, I've never been one of those people who like needs a special gift or, you know, like I would rather have just like one thing that means a lot to you than like a bunch of things. I don't care if it's expensive. I'd probably rather have an experience over everything else. You know, I love gifts, but I don't need them. I don't get offended if, you know, somebody doesn't give me one or sometimes I don't even think to give one myself. Um, and then the other was acts of service. Again, of course, I appreciate when people do nice things for me. I'm not a monster, not completely at least, <laughs> but I, um, you know, it's not enough to like make me feel loved. Like I had an ex-boyfriend of a few years who that was, I'm sure this is before I knew of this idea, but looking back, I'm sure acts of service was his number one. But the thing is, I always felt unloved because my biggest ones are, I think, physical touch, um, quality time. I think those are my two biggest. Oh, and words of affirmation. So basically like telling someone telling me they love me, somebody touching me lovingly and somebody spending time with me. Quality time. Not about the quantity. It's about the quality. And his was acts of service. Like he would do nice things for me, but like never be like cuddly or something. And I always felt like rejected. Anyway, it's not about this. This conversation is not about my love history, although it is Venus retrograde. Um, <laughs> tis the season. Anyway, I, um, I, you know, so if you are close with somebody and it doesn't have to be romantic love, it can be family. In fact, it's really helpful with family. If you're, you know, close to somebody who doesn't have the same love languages as, as you, you're often going to feel that disconnect unless you're aware of it. So anyway, back to Christmas. My, I realized for the first time that my mother's love language, number one, absolutely is gift giving. She's always sit, like trying to give us things. I mean, growing up, like we got, you know, even if they had no money, they would get us like a bunch of Christmas gifts. And I remember even as I was a little older, not that I wasn't grateful. So if mom, you're listening, like totally 100% grateful for you, all the sacrifices you made to give us what, you know, to give us what you thought we needed or wanted. Um, but I remember even older, I was like, I mean, this is great, but I don't really need these gifts. Like, <laughs> and I remember thinking, like, I think this is more for her. And again, oh, totally grateful, great memories, but it's just a difference in, in you know, what where you place the importance. And so as we've gotten older, we being my younger brother and I, you know, we were like always you're trying to be independent, and and we were raised to be very independent for sure. So I mean, we were both you know moved out of the house, like. ASAP, <laughs> all that stuff. You know, we were very loved and supported, but it was always kind of a given that we would be independent, you know, as we were young adults, which I really appreciate because I see some people who like, I mean, no offense to anyone who lives with their parents at all. Like it's a personal choice. And, you know, for people who have like that kind of relationship with their parents and that kind of space where they can do that, amen, pull your resources. That's great. I didn't exactly have that, you know. I remember I moved back in when I was maybe like 22 for maybe four months, three months, basically literally as long as it took for me to save up a first month's rent and security deposit. Like not a dollar more and I was out again just because, you know, I was raised to be independent and I preferred that. And also my parents live in a small house. and It was like 
everybody was just, you know, annoying each other all the time. So <laughs> it wasn't like I had a separate entrance like some people do. Anyhow, I'm getting on a tangent. So we would always reject, my brother and I would reject her advances, her giving advances. Like, no, we don't need money. No. And I mean, okay, my parents are not rich. And it's not like they were like, here's, you know, $10,000. But like, here's, do you want to use money for gas when we were visiting? No, no, no. <laughs> and when I, now that I live out of the country and I see my mother a lot less one thing every time I come home she loves to go she wants to like take me shopping at Target <laughs> which if you live in the U.S. is kind of like a fancy Walmart <laughs> um I mean you know let's face it it's still a big box store but you know it's like definitely the marketing is like higher vibe like the way it's set up in the store feels nicer it has like cute stuff clothes candles all that good shit so, yeah, I, um, you know, at first I'd be like, I don't need anything. And then I realized finally that this was for her. And I mean, don't get me wrong. I wasn't, you know, there are always things I, I could use. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a minimalist at heart for sure. So I'm not one to be like, let's just shop till we drop. But, you know, I can always think of like, oh, there are a few things actually I could really use. Sure. This is a great opportunity to get them, especially because some of those things are easier to find in the U.S. than in Mexico, where I live now. And anyway, so I realized that was for her. And I started changing my perspective. And I started just saying yes to those, you know, offers. And I saw how happy it made her. And it was funny because I later talked to my brother about this. I, I'm i not going to go into details because it's personal and, you know, I didn't ask him to be mentioned on this episode, but um, it's just kind of coming up now. But we had talked, I, I, I had called him, I don't know, maybe a month ago, just with all these like money mindset questions because he's really good with money. He, like me, sort of lives like an alternative lifestyle, but he always travels the world and stuff. And he just really makes the most of his money, even though his his money, his income is irregular and he's, you know, kind of like self-employed and, you know, all over the place, kind of like I am. And I historically have not been great with money and understatement. <laughs> and that's a, been a big area of growth for me this year as well. Future episode alert. But I was like, you know, hey, we were both raised the same way. How do we have different perspectives on money and blah, 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 blah. And one thing we started talking about was like comfort with receiving. And he was saying that's something he has been also working on. And, you know, it was just really interesting to realize that, um, you know, just to realize our difference in perspectives and just for me to really look at how things have changed for me since I've become more open to that receiving. Um, and so that actually wasn't the story I was planning on starting with. It <laughs> was kind of one I was going to tell later, but it just kind of flowed out. Um, so I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about why I'm talking about receiving, why it matters. So, you know, so abundance is one of the sort of queendoms of Venus. A lot of people don't realize that. A lot of people think Venus you know, love, sex, attraction, all that. But attraction, for example, we think of it in terms of love usually because, you know, most of us are horny as hell and we're all trying to get laid. <laughs> 
like humanity in a nutshell right there. Um, that's my prescription, (laughs) but we don't, you know, we don't always think about how we receive, how we attract other things and money, abundance, money mindset are kind of hot topics right now in the world of personal development, spirituality. And that's great because I think we have all have a lot of work to do in those areas and living under capitalism, money, it becomes a really powerful symbol for our self-worth. And a lot of us reject that notion because we think that's wrong or unethical. But the reality is, is that then it just gets pushed into the shadow. We don't win. We still have to deal with the same shit. We just don't actively deal with it, which is why I believe there are more, um, more artists, creatives, spiritual people in poverty than people who are not in those worlds. Not because money is not spiritual, not because you can't be creative and wealthy, but it's because a lot of those people in the creative and spiritual worlds, they mistakenly look at the separation of themselves from this idea that worth equals money personal worth equals money, they reject that so strongly that those emotions they have around worth and earning and spending get pushed into the shadow because they aren't dealt with. They don't actually go anywhere, you know? So that's my little theory there. So anyway, um, I was realizing that this was, again, a couple months ago. I was really starting to realize that I had been starting to feel extremely tight and closed off. Um, I sort of felt like a hardened shell had formed around me and the shell was self-constructed and it was in response to my life in the city, um, which was you know hectic and chaotic at times and I wanted to shield myself from. It was constructed in response to... I mean, it was sort of a, not even constructed, it was sort of a spell cast in response to my life um, in this city where I just wanted to sometimes be ignored despite, or especially because of, standing out so strongly, so clearly. You know, I am 5'9". I have, well, I previously had a shaved platinum blonde head. Now it's kind of growing out and in this weird, awkward stage, but I have short, light blonde hair, blue eyes. I'm fair, although I tan pretty nicely when I'm in the sun, but I really stand out in my neighborhood. And sometimes, I mean, and 90% of the time, it's not negative. People, any attention I get is positive or neutral, but it's just exhausting sometimes. You don't want to stand out. And I mean, God, like, my friends of color who are listening to this are probably like, hello, welcome to my everyday life. <laughs> you know, and in no way am I comparing my experience because I'm the difference is that I am institutionally still in the place of privilege as a white person. Whereas even if I stand out in a place where, you know, there are fewer white people. And um you know, a little side note, when I first really, that hit me, I actually spoke with a friend, um, a black woman and she, and I was like, Hey, I just want to like bat these ideas around. Don't, you know, I I don't, I don't want to, I, I definitely don't want it to seem like I'm comparing my experience to yours, but it made me, it opened up my eyes even more to 
what it is to be the other. And again, I stressed, I was like, the difference is that, you know, institutionally, I'm still in a place of privilege and institutionally you are oppressed. (laughs) That's a huge difference. And that's why reverse racism is not a thing. (laughs) Um, Like, it's not a thing because when people, when white people say that, oh, like saying we can't do things because we're white is reverse racism. No, it's not because racism refers to institutionalized oppression of which that does not exist for white people. So that was a tangent, but something that gets me a little fired up. So moving on. Um, and you know, so I, I got on a little aside there, but it, you know, feeling just that added attention sometimes made me just want to just hide, you know, I, I wanted to walk down the street and just have people ignore me. And I have a lot of energetic techniques that I use for shielding, but I always used them until recently, very here and there, and only kind of in a situation of crisis, which is not really a good way to strengthen those skills. Um, and there's also a level of this, this wall, this shell, that was a protection ritual that's inherent in womanhood. You know, I mean, I mean... I told my beloved one day that he was saying he was worried about me going somewhere or something. And, you know, I get it. It was, you know, a place that was not safe in quotes. But I kind of explained. I was like, I mean, really, no place is really safe as a woman. (laughs) Sad, but true. And I said, I really appreciate you, your concern and your care and your also your insight as somebody who is you know, who grew up in the city, um, who has a different perspective than someone who just moved here a a year ago. But I said, I don't think you quite understand the extent to which being a woman requires you to be on high alert at all times. I mean, since I was an adolescent, no one ever sat me down and said, well, maybe someone did. I, I don't, my memories about this aren't about being sat down and saying like, you're at risk as a woman always. But I remember receiving those messages implicitly and, and it's just in my blood to be paying attention to everything, to not do certain things, to do other things. It's so ingrained. It's so much a part of that shell that it's easy to just forget about. So anyway, I noticed that the shell had formed, a shell that could serve me, but that was not serving me. Instead of making me feel protected and strong, it was making me feel, like I said, tight, closed off. And this was around the time that Venus started speaking to me directly. Um, you know, I had been working with that energy, with her energy, and but this was the first time I kind of clearly heard a voice that I attributed to her. And... I heard one word, clearly, and it was open. And so I, I remember, I remember extremely clearly. I walked to the metro that day. It, you know, I the walk is about a six-minute walk, very close. And in that time, I probably said no, with my words or with my actions, and body at least five times. Okay, so six-minute walk at least five times. And it was probably more. Just that's kind of a conservative estimate. And the thing was, in these moments, I wasn't threatened. Not even close. 
Um, they were mostly simple no's. They were no's to eye contact. Again, not threatening eye contact, which of course, say no to that shit. <laughs> but just like curious, friendly eye contact. Um, they were no's to flyers being handed out. It's very common for flyers to be handed out on the street here. So that's a lot of no's. You know, if you're walking on a busy road right there, that is a lot of no's you need to say. It was no's to it were it were it was. I'm confused now. <laughs> um, they were no's to human interaction, to things for sale. And I wasn't left feeling protected in a little ball of magic I created. No. I was left feeling constricted, disconnected, isolated. And I mean, let me interject here with a disclaimer. You are under no requirement or responsibility to say yes to anything. And absolutely, 100%, no, 200%, I, I want to communicate the power of a no. But here's the thing. No is only powerful if it's what you want. If you're just automatically saying no to things, if you don't even realize you're saying anything at all, you're just like, no, 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 because it's such, it's on such autopilot. That's not a true no. That's not a powerful no. And actually, I would say that those sort of half no's, those artificial no's, those just, you know, immediate, immediately escaping from your lips no's, they actually dilute the power of your true no. And so... I'm not saying you, you know, walking down the street, you are under a requirement to make eye contact to everybody who looks at you. No. Or say hi. No. But my realization was personal. It was that I was automatically rejecting everything. And it left me, it hit me then that if I said no five or more times in six minutes on a walk I did every day, multiple times a day. I was saying no an unfathomable number of times a day. And again, these weren't powerful, life-affirming no's, expressing authentic boundaries. They were just automatic no's. And I realized, you know, these are the most dangerous types of no's. These are the kinds that separate you from your desires. You know, and you know, I believe your desires are the essence of who you are. They're your soul's language. And I realized something had to change. You know, a lot of books and movie scripts have been written about the idea of saying yes to everything for a year or whatever. And actually, I find those quite entertaining, even though it's kind of a, you know, trite concept at this point. <laughs> like, yes, man. And then there were like several books and, you know, it's a great idea. But... I wasn't going to start saying yes to everything. That wasn't like my breaking point. Like, I'm going to say yes to everything for a year. No, I was simply going to ask what I truly wanted. Because here's the thing. If I was saying no so much, it wasn't even a thought. Then I reasoned, what kind of message was I sending to the universe, to spirit? No wonder I was having difficulty manifesting my desires. <laughs> no wonder I felt like my life at the time was kind of lacking in newness and fresh opportunity. Because if I was rejecting everything put into my path, then of course I was like, I was rejecting my manifestations. 
so I decided to radicalize my receiving. So the more closely I looked at my life and habits, the more obvious it was that I was lousy as hell at receiving. I mean, the universe had ho- had heard all of my requests. I had lost a lot of faith at this point. You know, I believed I had my beliefs, but I sort of they'd become intellectual beliefs. And I realized I really dug deep and I realized that actually I didn't have any faith. You know, I intellectually thought that your thoughts create your reality. But, you know, I sort of like applied it here and there. Like, oh, yeah, definitely. This is an example of that. And then other times forgetting that it was actually always on. You know, the law of attraction switch was always turned on, (laughs) whether I admitted it or not. And I realized that I had no faith that things were happening for me rather than to me, that things were always manifesting. I had no faith. And, you know, the universe, I realized, had heard all of my requests, for sure, but had given up on the delivery long ago. (laughs) I felt like, okay, let's think of a metaphor. Okay, I felt like the front door of my life was, it had received several of those final delivery UPS notices. Um, UPS in the United States is like, a. actually, I guess they're international. I don't know. Regardless, it's a big package delivery service. And when you're not home, depending on the package, if it's a package you have to sign for, which is the worst kind of package, (laughs) because inevitably you're never home when they knock. And so they leave a little slip. And after like three slips, it's a final notice. And then if you don't get it the next time, if you're not home, they, you have to go to the like, pick up warehouse for it, which is always super far away in the middle of nowhere. There's a hilarious episode of Broad City about this. (laughs) They live in New York and like in the city, it can be even harder to get deliveries because you're in a big building sometimes and it's more things can get lost. Really funny episode about a missed delivery. So you should go check that out on YouTube or wherever. Anyway, so I felt like the front door of my life had received several of those final delivery notices And the packages had just finally been returned to the sender because they're like, oh, this bitch is like doesn't want this shit. Like this bitch does not want her face cream from Sephora because we've tried to deliver it 10 times. It's gone back, you know. So that's what I realized. This this automatic um, refusal of everything. You know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. So there was no way, according to logic, that this was not impacting other aspects of my life, other areas of my life. So since the word and action no had become a daily issue for me, I did start by deciding that for the next little while, you know, no specific amount of time, because I hate rules, uh, (laughs) like, 100% hate rules. So I decided that for the next little while, I would just say yes, or just accept in the case of a flyer or something, anything that didn't feel dangerous or unethical. You know, so I was using common sense here. (laughs) Unfortunately, you have to say that this day and age, because that's what else will be like, I said yes to everything and I got got kidnapped. It's like, well, use your brain. Come on. (laughs) Um, Anyway, not saying if you get kidnapped, it was your fault. But if you did it as part of a say yes to everything experiment, it might be your fault. <laughs> so anyway, um, I the thing about the unethical piece, though, is I actually I had 
recently become really aware of how the ego can mask as the intuition, something I never, ever really knew about or thought about before. I am a very intuitive person and very comfortable listening to my intuition. And then I started to notice that actually some of the intuitive hits I was receiving were actually not intuition, they were the ego. So it takes some work to like untangle those. So I actually, since I know the ego loves to use belief as an excuse, I invited myself to question my mind if I jumped to beliefs in philosophy. So if I was saying no because it felt unethical, really actually sitting with that and thinking, well, is this true? Is this actually true? If it is, great, not doing it. But sometimes something like, oh, it's unethical. It's actually just something that makes me uncomfortable. There's a big difference. So anyway, um, so I started to, to say yes and accept. Now, some of this might not make sense. You know, taking a flyer on the street that, let's face it, is almost certainly going to end up in the trash <laughs> isn't particularly revolutionary. But it was a symbol for me. And the flyer thing is a good example because, like I said, on some major roads here, you know, everyone's handing out flyers outside of stores and things with coupons or offers or whatever. And that's the thing that does not happen in the United States because nobody, everyone hates paper. <laughs> Everything's paperless. Like that would never work. But I guess it works here. But you know, that's a lot of no's I was saying every day. No, no, we're just putting my hand up as a no. And so it was a symbol, you know, by saying yes, it was a way of saying to myself, to the universe, I am open. I mean, who knows? Maybe the flyer, when I looked at it, would contain a sign I had been looking for. You know, or maybe taking it would lead to a pleasant human interaction with a person whose job, let's face it, is to be rejected all day. <laughs> Ouch. Like, that is... It actually really made me start to, you know, feel compassion for the people handing out flyers because, you know, that's a tough, that's a tough gig. I don't know if I could handle being rejected all day. <laughs> anyway, um, you know, it was beyond this a symbol, a signal that I, that said, I'm willing to receive. And this actually led me in more profound, more profound directions as well. Um, for example, the man who stations himself in his wheelchair outside of one of the metro stations near me, you know, somebody who, you know, just there's so many people around. You just kind of go on autopilot, ignoring everybody. But he's somebody I saw every day. And so I started, you know, being a normal human and like greeting him. And he was always so friendly, had a you know blessing, a greeting for me for the day. And, you know, one day I was getting my frequent breakfast, which is a tamal and torta, which is very Mexico City. <laughs> it's a tamal or you know, a tamale, but a tamal is one, the singular, <laughs> um, in bread, like in a sandwich. So just the tamal in the sandwich. And it's a very Mexico City thing because here everybody likes to put everything in bread, like in a special roll called a bolillo. And anyway, so I you know got the idea, oh, I should get an extra one for him. Like, you know, and at first I was like, oh, I was not offended. It's so funny because, okay, first of all, like, I would never be offended if somebody gave me free food. You know, maybe like a total stranger, but like somebody who I have some relationship with. I see this person every day. They're probably not poisoning me. I unfortunately did grow up in the 90s in the United States where 
there were like all the trick-or-treating scares like you would go trick-or-treating and your parents would look at every single wrapper when you got home to make sure nobody had like poisoned it or there was not like a puncture where somebody injected lsd or something i don't even know you know razor blades and apples like i actually have no idea if any of that ever happened but it was a big 90s scare so the idea of taking food from strangers is like a no-no for me but anyway so i was like is he gonna be offended (laughs) maybe he's not hungry and i was like okay just get the guy a fucking sandwich like he sits there every day every day he's probably hungry he's in a wheelchair He's probably not like cruising up and down the street of the horrible sidewalk, you know, to get a sandwich, even if he has the money. Like, come on. It's amazing what disconnecting yourself does to your sense of logic. It's like, oh, I don't want this person to be offended if I like there's somebody playing music on the street and they're not asking for money. But like probably they would I want to give them some. Will they be offended? It's like, no, they will not be offended. But, you know, this disconnection, this automatic no, this that's, you know, in many ways a survival mechanism, especially in the city, is, you know, it's funny how it messes with you. So anyway, back to the story. You know, you guys could do a drinking game. Like every time I say back to the story or, oh, I'm on a tangent on this podcast, you can just you know, take a drink <laughs> and get all everyone can get real wasted. Anyway, so. I, um, you know, I, I got the idea to bring him a sandwich and that became sort of a regular like tradition, you know, whenever I would get one, you know, if I had the extra money, I'd get one for him too. And la di da, he'd be grateful. It's not the point. The point is that, you know, this was something that turned an automatic no into like a little relationship it became like one of my neighborhood friends, as I call them, her people who I actually don't know their names, <laughs> kind of embarrassed to say that I've never asked. But, you know, people you see every day and that make you feel like, oh, it's the, that guy. <laughs> so, um, so, and that kind of thing means a lot more to me, probably as someone new in a city, relatively new in a city and in a foreign country. Like a lot of people just kind of look at me confused and, and like, don't talk to me. So <laughs> like, why are you here? <laughs> so anyway, I appreciate those little midi connections over the course of a day. But most importantly, I felt myself loosen and relax and embody my full energy. And the process, I became much more quickly responsive to true less than savory situations because I was aware and truly interacting with the world and in fully embodying my power by actually asking myself in each moment, like, well, before I say no, am I sure this is a no? You know? Um... I became much more in tune with my actual desired boundaries and I had more confidence to enforce them because I knew it wasn't just an automatic, you know, knee jerk reaction. It was true. And I started receiving so much more. Now, part of this is the reticular activating system in the brain, which if you studied the connection between law of attraction and brain chemistry, you might be aware of this idea. For anyone who hasn't, it's basically a part of your brain that sees what you want to see. And actually what happens is there's a very complex series of chemical processes that happen in your brain when you have a thought. I'm not going to get into those now, although they are extremely interesting. Um, What I will say is that essentially different thoughts, different emotions, they release um, different proteins into your bloodstream. They attach to cells 
And over time, that becomes a cumulative process where your cells actually request those proteins. And this is why it's, it's challenging to change your thoughts sometimes. If you're a very negative person, your body's actually become addicted to those proteins. And the reticular activating system links into this because, you know, whatever you're used to feeling, thinking, you're, this part of your brain actually looks for evidence of that in the world. And this is why, you know, you decide to buy a certain car. Maybe you, maybe you haven't bought it yet. Maybe you have. But you start seeing that car everywhere. It, there aren't more cars of that on the street. It's that you're noticing it more. And so the people, and so there's been sort of a um, movement in the law of attraction world away from, you know, towards this sort of biological explanation of these things and away from the more metaphysical. And I think they're exactly the same because there's no intermediary between our, you know, physical reality and our, you know, energetic reality. Like they are absolutely the same. And so I don't care if it's just that I'm noticing it more or I don't, I don't care if I'm actually receiving more because I've been working on that concept or if I am just noticing them receiving more, because here's the thing, the result is exactly the same. <laughs> so who cares, you know? So anyway, regardless of the reason, I was definitely receiving more. Um, you know, I started, I, you know, as I started sort of radicalizing how I receive, I started extending my yeses. So, you know, if someone offered to help me, who cared if I needed it? I would say yes. You know, and this was something I used to do when I would bicycle to work back in the U.S., um, a lot of people drive and here it's, you know, somebody would probably not offer me a ride, <laughs> but like in the U S people, a lot of people drive and I would ride to work. And sometimes after work, it would be late. Someone would offer me a ride with my bike. You know, if they had like a truck or something throw it in the back. And I always had a rule of saying yes, always, because my perception was, and this was really at the very beginning, actually before I really started studying this stuff. Um, you know, I had like read a book here and there, but I hadn't really started studying it. But even then, I knew intuitively, I felt that if I said no, then the person wouldn't ask me when I really needed it. <laughs> and as somebody who hated asking for help, I was like, I'm never going to ask for a ride. But if it's like a really shitty rainy day, no one's going to offer if I'm always saying no. <laughs> and it's kind of like the same with your friends. If your friends are always inviting you to do things and you're always saying no, they're eventually just going to stop inviting you. I mean, it's not really law of attraction. That's just like law of people. <laughs> but anyway, um, I just started saying yes. I never regretted it. You know, same with generosity of all stripes. So gifts, introductions, and anything that somebody offered to do. I just said yes. And like I said, I started receiving so much more. And I realized that these offers of generosity were made because they were things that people wanted to do. And by saying no, I was depriving them. And I mean, it doesn't take a genius to realize that that's true. I mean, if I offer someone help, I love when they take me up on that because I wouldn't be offering if I didn't want to do it. And, you know, I just, it means a lot to me that they trust in me enough to, to ask. And so I definitely started receiving more. Um, absolutely. And I realized how, what a huge missing piece this is in the whole manifestation, um, you know, equation for a lot of people. 
And as I've talked about in past episodes, I use all these things interchangeably because they are all the same to me. So whether it's personal development, manifestation, um, spell work, anything that deals with the energetic world and any personal development, no matter, even if you're reading the most left-brained book, businessy book you could find, it's still dealing with energetics. And mark my words, if you look at any of the most successful people in the world, any, I don't care what industry they're in, I don't care how woo-woo or not woo-woo they seem, every single one of them, I guarantee it, will talk about how changing their energy, um, their thoughts, their way of speaking, things like that, their inner patterns, was a key, if not the key, to their success. I mean, here's the thing. The people who say like, oh, this is bullshit, this is woo-woo, like they're not the high achievers. They're not. If you really look at, I mean, I have studied extensively successful people (laughs) in an attempt to be successful myself. (laughs) But it's also just interesting to me how people can build something out of nothing. I'm really interested in biographies, origin stories, blah, blah, blah. I mean, seriously, if you find an exception to this, send it to me and I will send you a prize. But like, it'll be a shitty prize because if it's, if you're looking for, you know, examples of how not to achieve your highest potential, it's like, what are you doing? (laughs) But I'll send you a prize, really. Um, A consolation prize. (laughs) But the people who are the skeptics are not the high achievers. They are the people who are struggling to move forward. They might have achieved a great level of success, but they are not able to break through that next level. And that's because that is energy. So this isn't, I mean, I don't really think this is up for debate. I think people get stuck in debating the specifics and missing the big point, the big picture, which is that this is a, you know, that this is a not provable by science, perhaps law, (laughs) the law of attraction. I mean, you know, who knows what's a law and who's not and what's not, but it's something that, that works, you know? And so, you know, if you're not, if you're not able to receive, if you're noticing that you're saying no, 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 I challenge you to open yourself up. And just do it where it's comfortable at first. Although, you know, I always challenge you to make yourself uncomfortable because that's where the magic happens. Uh, that's where the good shit happens. I mean, there are so many things looking at, you know, at the past year, for example, that I was, you know, skeptical about. Even me, somebody who's really open-minded and really a seeker. There are still a lot of things that I was like, oh, that's too out there <laughs> for, for me. But a lot of things I really question and I realized... Every single time I rejected something, even, not all, but many of the times that I was like, this person's just like full of it. They're, you know, I don't trust their ethics, blah, 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 blah. Most of the time, with a few exceptions, because some things are just fucked up and wrong always. But most of the time, I just didn't understand. I was ignorant. And that's a hard pill for a lot of us to swallow, especially people like me who are stubborn as hell and think they know everything. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) I was, I posted on Instagram yesterday, a little texting, a text exchange I have with a friend. And I, cause I was talking about my coffee on Instagram yet again. And she was like, 
ever since you meant, and I actually had two people at least, maybe even more, like three, I think three or four people. You're like, oh my God, since you talked about blending your coffee, it, I've tried it and changed my life. And I was like, I know. And I was realized, and I said, okay, a month ago, or I said, in this past month, I learned that you can blend your coffee and that throat ejaculation is a thing, <laughs> which is like another conversation. <laughs> Didn't learn it personally, but I, I was listening to a talk about, um, it was a talk by um, Sophia Sundari, which is, she's a, like a tantric teacher, international tantric teacher. And she did this talk on tantric oral sex. And so I was like, oh, I'll listen to that while I'm working. Why not? <laughs> anyway, my point was that I was like, what else don't I know? And that's really important to realize that if you're questioning something because you're skeptical, or especially if you have a reaction, like a physical or emotional reaction to something, like you hate something or you resent something, look into that. Because I found for myself, it's always that I'm just, I don't understand. You know, a lot of people, like people I follow on the internet who were triggering to me at first, um, I had a few, I, I'm like a chronic clearing out, clearer outer of my Instagram who I'm following to the point where Instagram like regularly locks me out because they're like, oh, you're a bot. You're following and unfollowing too many people. <laughs> and I have to like wait a day to get like to be allowed to do it again. But anyway, it's not that I'm a bot. It's that I'm I have like a zero tolerance policy about like everything in my feed because I do love Instagram and I spend not a ton of time on it, but a good amount of time on it. I need to resonate with everything. And sometimes I follow, I follow and then unfollow people and then follow them again at different periods of my life. I want my feed just like my physical surroundings, just like my wardrobe. I do this with everything. I want it to completely reflect where I am now. And, you know, that you got to clear shit out. Sometimes you're like, oh, I should follow that person again. And then it's, the, it's a better time. I mean, there are a lot of people the past year who were really triggering to me at first. And... I didn't see it as triggering. I was like, oh, I'm, you know, they're, they're dumb or whatever. <laughs> I don't know what I said, but I was just being triggered. And when I actually really listened to them, like, oh, they think this, I make these assumptions like we all do. But actually in listening to them more deeply, I realized that's not what they thought. You, they actually said there's a common misconception that I'm saying this. What I actually mean is this, you know, my point is that when things you know, when it comes to receiving, if you're saying no, 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 ask yourself why. And know that if you are not doing this from a conscious place, you are also shutting out the good stuff. You can't just shut out the bad stuff. It's not that simple. You know, I've talked in the past about how I believe good and bad are human constructions. And I understand that will be triggering to a lot of people. Um, and that's a nuanced idea. I'm not going to get into the nuances now. So just trust that I understand that it's nuanced. But the reality is, I mean, like a gazelle being eaten by a lion in the Sahara, are they like, this is wrong and unjust? Like, no, it's just how it is. You know, it's just this natural balance of things. I believe. So... I believe in our lives, we place a lot of good and bad on things that happen to us. But the reality is, I mean, we don't know. Many of us have had bad experiences that we look back on with gratitude. 
knowing they brought us to where we are today. But, you know, just recognize that if you're saying no so much, it's leaving you closed. You're shutting out the things you desire as well. And so just question that, work with it and build on that. Um, and tell me what happens. So I'd love to hear if you have any stories around this. As always, please DM me on Instagram. I love talking to you there. Um, I'm at rebirth underscore of Venus. And tell me if you have any interesting experiences around receiving, unexpected, anything. Um, just tell me what you think. Or if you disagree with any of these ideas, please tell me. Um, I love to talk about the nuances of all this. And I love to connect with you. So thank you so much for listening. Um, as always, if you got value from this episode, if you loved what you heard, if you just found it an interesting conversation, even if not all of it resonated with you, I really encourage you to log onto iTunes, leave a review, tell other listeners about your experiencing listening to the show and help this podcast reach more people, help this information be spread more widely. If you're not sure how to leave it, a review on iTunes, head over to my Instagram feed and under the saved stories, you're going to see currently there are two sections. There are reviews. So you can look at some reviews already been left, um, which have been amazing. And I'm just so grateful that this is resonating with people. And you'll also see a, a heading that says review me. Click on that. And I have full screenshotted instructions on how to leave an iTunes review. And I encourage you to do this, not just with this show, but any show you love, because that is how they reach people. That is how people who are new to this work find this information. And that's a huge blessing for all of us. So thank you so much for your love and support. I can't wait to speak to you again next week. And in the meantime, I hope you have a great week and open yourself to receiving, open yourself to saying yes and see what happens. See the ways that Venus touches your life when you just say, I'm available, I'm open, and I'm ready to receive. Thank you so much and have a great week. Goodbye.